Hello and welcome to DigFinVox, Voices in Digital Finance. I'm your host, James DiBiazio. If you enjoy our content, like, share, subscribe, let the YouTube algorithm know about it. My guest today is Miles Wen, co-founder and CEO of Fano Labs, a Hong Kong startup focusing on artificial intelligence uses in regtech. As I spoke with Miles, I was very interested to understand his take on how banks are really taking advantage or not of AI and regtech solutions. Miles Wen, welcome to DigFinVox. Thank great you, you. Thank you. Great, great to have you. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to this uh, because you're uh, you're a deep tech founder in Hong Kong, doing a lot of work in reg tech and financial services. So it's a it's a hot area, right? Um, why don't you just give us a very brief introduction to Fano Labs uh, and and the story? You came out of uh, one of the universities here, uh, you know, deep deep research arm. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh... Thanks for having me. So I'm Miles, I'm CEO and founder of Fennel Labs. So we're actually a spin-off from the University of Hong Kong, where my that's where me and my, my co-founders, we used to work and conduct research on. About in 2015, we decided to spin off from the university and run the company as a commercial, as a commercial company, so that we try to commercialize what we built from the research lab into the industry with the hope that we can bring some real impact with that technology to the, to the industry. So we're actually an AI company, but, but we're actually very specialized in one particular area, the AI, where we train models, we build machines that you know, comprehend and process human languages. So in particular, we actually process, we train machines that process audios, you know, a whole bunch of audios, and we'll get machines audio to tell us- People's voices. Yes, audio, yes, the voices. So we basically you know, train machines to tell us in the audios, how many different speakers are there, who mm -hmm. are they, and what time did they speak, what do they say? And what do they say? What do they mean by saying that? So that's how we turn everything into insights, business insights that bring value to enterprises. So by so listening actually, to the voices, what you do is the computer, I guess, converts that into uh, what a text? Text plus insights. So we plus also insights. actually we, we don't just give it a text, but we also give you lots of information about like uh, the tones inside, like what's the tone, how fast people speak, how loud people speak, and then what's the language being spoken by that particular person, and who are they? And we also try to extract key information, like what's being said in there. Did the, did the person mention anything particular, like a product name, a stock name, you know, a particular instance in the market, or any something of your interest of the users? Yes. So that's something, that's something we do. And that insight, is that something that the, the, the computer is able to generate itself, or do you have to then have some process by which you scrub that conversation to generate that insight? We do it both. The machines actually give us the raw materials, like uh, give us like, this is like if someone is speaking very loudly, but what does it mean by speaking loudly, right? So that can be mapped into something in the business area. Like someday it's a loud speaker, but is it loud by, by nature or is it like a loud because it's angry? So that's something that we need a, we need a human intervention to do an interpretation of what, what does it mean by, you know, what does it mean by having the signal identified by the machine? So, okay. so that's actually the, the inter, there's a human in the loop, something called human in the loop is actually the, we machine, generate all the raw materials, all the raw signals, but someone in the middle needs to process that and turn that thing into something the business can actually use. 
is there a point where the AI will develop where the computer will be able to do that kind of analysis on its own? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because the thing, one of the things we, we come across is actually if you want to train machines, right? Someone needs to train a machine. It's going to be a humans. We need to find humans to train machines. But the thing is, in our in the enterprise space where we are working on, especially in, in very special industries like React Tech, first of all, the, the role is evolving. Like uh, at some point, even in a large bank, there are only a handful of people who are especially knowledge about what's going on, what are the traders talking about. So these are only a very small hand, small number of these kind of people. They don't have the time to train the machines, and we don't have enough data. So we don't we don't see us going to a point where we can have enough data from these high professionals to train machines. That's why we say no. I don't think it will happen. Well, machine okay. will stay like uh, I, we, we tend to say that in in our in in a, in the banking sector, we tend to tell our clients that you think about AI as like entry level stuff, like very entry level stuff. They can do the work. They can do the labor, and do it in scale and fast and cheap, but they are not like, a, they're not like, a, they're not gonna be like getting a, a, a certificate. They cannot be like, they cannot get a license from SSC to sell stuff. That's, that requires too much, way too much extra knowledge. That's so way too much you're, you're providing this ahead. massive kind of 24 seven, no healthcare, no vacations, intern workforce. You're right, yeah. that's the level. Okay. Yeah, and basically okay. you want more interns, just crack more power in there. That's it. Right. Okay. So you can get, you can, you can have three interns. You can have 3000 interns. Uh, it scales like that, but they're still all going to be interns. You're right. Okay. So um, with this, when we talk about um, audio recognition, deciphering different languages, understanding not just the words that people say, but perhaps the context or the intonation how does this get used in real-world applications? That's a good question. Actually, nowadays we're primarily seeing our technologies getting adopted in the financial industry as a reg tech solution. Mm -hmm. So here's a little background. So in the financial industry, regardless whether you're a private bank, a retail bank, wholesale bank, or a security firms or insurance firms, whenever you have a licensed personnel selling an investment product to a customer, there are you can't just sell any product to anybody, right? There's lots of regulations about where you can sell. One of the key points is actually when you sell a product, you're a facilitator. There are lots of risk disclosures that you have to tell the customer. You have to work with the customer for a risk questionnaire so that you make sure that the customer knowing, knows what they're buying and they're okay with the risks. Like for instance, that's the product, that's a savings product, that's the deposit that you're, not, you're never gonna lose your principal, then it's okay. Some people may like it, but if you're selling a product that's like a, a warrant, there's a chance you can, you, you, might, you may subject to margin calls, you may lose everything and you're gonna owe people, owe extra money to people. Right. Then you need to make sure the customer, the, the, the buyer knows that. They understand that, they understand what the dynamics, they understand the risks and they really know what they're doing. So, but the, prob but the problem is actually when it comes to, you know, the actual financial product, the actual selling process, it's, um, it's very hard for you to know what's being talked in there. Sometimes it's uh, your arms, you're it's a too, junior, too junior to know what's going on. Sometimes forget about telling a customer about a particular risk. Sometimes the customer say, hey, you know, just I, I know it just to stop talking, right? Something to push you to do it. And sometimes just like uh, the product's way too complicated. There's too many things about it you can have to go through, you just forgot. But the thing is, if, as, if, as a, a staff, a personnel from the bank, as a licensed personnel from the bank, facilitating the sale, if you forget to mention some very key risk points to the customer and the customer lost money eventually, you're at fault. You might right. have to cover the costs, you may have the losses for the customer. 
So that's why the regulators, not only in Hong Kong, but also on a global scale, that basically says, if you are facilitating this kind of high risk transactions or any kind of a, a transaction of a financial product, first of all, you need to make sure that the entire conversation is recorded and you need to dispatch some personnel to listen behind the scene, at least do some sample calls to make sure that sales process is okay. You did not give, you did not have enemy selling conducts over there and the customer clearly understand what's being sold in there and the product being sold, it's suitable to what a customer actually needed. So, but, but the thing is actually, imagine you're, you know, there are like, there are people, their whole job is sitting in the office and listening to tapes of people talking to each other day in, day, day in and day out. It's painful, yeah. it's expensive and people will quit, to be honest. Like you, you keep doing that, people, people are gonna quit. It's, 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 it's a very boring process. But even though, even, even, they're, even when they're doing that, there's still like a insufficient coverage. There's an, it's impossible for you to listen to 100% of what all the transactions that's being happened over there. It's way too expensive. Yes. That comes to a point where this kind of a mis-selling sometimes still happen. It still, you know, got missed out. No matter how much money banks spend, they can't capture, they can't catch up with it. Well, whenever they face that, the regulars, if, if, if the investor lost money, the regular will come up and say, hey, uh, you, you, you're not doing your work properly because we have a clear guideline you need to make sure that whenever you sell you're following the full processes you're very you're very compliant with our requirements so that's where our technology came in to help so over the past couple of years we basically say you know what just stop getting you know hiring people to do the sample checks it's painful it's not working how about using ais like just would listen to 100 of your calls and it's like 100 times 1000 times faster than humans and reflect every single instance where the machine says there's something, I feel like we are missing something. Right. And we keep this kind of filtered out, the flagged out audios to a real human, like a, a real professional risk manager or a control man, business risk manager or control manager. We say, hey, these are the 10 recordings from yesterday's from transactions that the machine thinks have an issue. And here's what the machine thinks. And you get the senior managers to review the things only. They just review the parts where a machine flagged it out. If, it's, if the machine made a mistake, it's fine. Just forget about it. If the machine was right, you know what to do. You, know, you can follow up properly. They actually, they actually empower their people. Like if for the same number, number of people you hire, if for the same number of professionals a bank hire, you can cover like 100 times more, you know, you know the, the, the kind of surveilling on the audios, the sales processes, et cetera. And I guess they use this for, uh, for training purposes or to improve the quality of their RMs, right? In, in, the, in the example that you're giving. How, how unique is this sort of thing, Miles? I mean, I've, I've, spat, I've chatted with a variety of, of fintech uh, companies over the years. Um, there's others in this, in this space. Are you building something that you could consider a, a moat in, in a business concept that you know, nobody can really get across uh, and, and challenge you? Are you uh, fighting it out uh, in what is sort of a commoditized arena? How, how how difficult is it to, to maintain a, a distinction in this business? Yep. In our particular space, so this is actually very particular to Asia, to the Asian market and APAC market in particular, like Hong Kong and Singapore, is whenever we, we our technology is about processing human languages. But while our specialties is processing, processing situations where most people are multilingual, like most people speak multi, at least two to three different languages. And when people are multilingual, so there's a, there's a very, spe very special phenomenon that will happen is actually people might mix languages together. They'll be talking to each other in, in Chinese and they'll mix in lots of English words in the middle. 
And there's also, it also happened where three people are talking and at the very beginning, they're, they're talking to each other in Chinese. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, they switch language to English. They could be like someone else joined the door, someone, some non-Chinese speakers join the conversation. So they all switch to Chinese. Uh, sorry, they all switch to English all of a sudden. That's not a, that, that kind of problem does not happen in the States or maybe in China, but it happens a lot in Hong Kong and Singapore. In those areas, people are not in English and it happens. Now the challenge becomes, for the machine, the challenge becomes, how do we catch up? Like in, in this technology, thinking about the technology you have in your phone, like Siri, right? You need to select a language first. If you select, let's say English, and you try to talk to it, you talk to say Chinese to the, to the phone, it doesn't work. It doesn't recognize you, it's right. not at all. But in our but how, particular scenario, yeah. We don't, in our scenario, we don't, we don't necessarily know. We don't even know what the language couples people are speaking unless until the customer starts talking. And even if we know, we know what language is being spoken, when the customer starts talking, talking, he might change the language somewhere in the middle of the conversation. So we're actually very specialized in processing technologies where in the processing audience where this kind of phenomenon happens. Like people, they come in speaking unknown languages we need to detect. And when people, when the people actually come in to speak two languages at the same time, you know, we can still recognize it's the same person. Here's the language they speak, and here's what they said, and here's what they what they mean by saying that. How? And how, that's actually how, that's our strength. Yeah, that's your that's your sweet spot. How how defensible is that though? I mean, what would it take for a, a larger company in the AI space just to decide that they want to add that on? I mean, how how long would it take them to be able to have that capability? I think no. I will. I, I think for anyone trying to to do what we do right now, I think it will, it will take them at least a year or two. Mm -hmm. I mean, for large, large corps. But in the meantime, we're also improving. So I think we're like a couple of years ahead in technology. Because this is that technology is actually, it's hard in a couple of ways. First of all, it's difficult because you need to change the fundamental, fundamental, the underlying assumptions when you build a technology. So when you train a machine, do you expect it to know a language before recognizing or do we not expect expectation? So that's fundamental technology-wise, that's the difference. You need, if you want to, if you move from traditional technology to what we're doing, you need to change the entire thing from ground up. The second part is actually, you also need a lot, lots of data. You can't make it up. You have to have lots of data, how people mix language together, how people switch language on the fly in this particular region. And, and by the way, that's also extremely localized because it's very common in Hong Kong. You see people mixing Chinese and English, right? But yeah. people don't necessarily mix Chinese with, let's say, Arabic, right? They don't mix Arabic with, with Chinese, vice versa, or Chinese with, let's say, German. It doesn't right. happen a lot. So this kind of combination doesn't work. But when it comes to English-Chinese mixture, what would be the, the pronunciation will be different. The accents will kick in. And the words, they don't, mix, they don't mix any word. They mix some selective words. What is the small words that they tend to mix together? And when they switch, how do we make sure that they are your word? we know that the purpose is switching language, you know, especially when it comes to some people with a very strong Chinese accents. When they speak English, there's strong Chinese accents. How do you know that this, he's trying to speak English instead of trying to, you know, you know, trying to still try and still sticking with Chinese. So those are the things that actually require lots of data. So we'll be in this space. I think right now, most of the industry can think about the most, we have the largest database, you know, for this kind of mixed language, multilingual, you know, <laughs> Uh, uh, speeches in this part, particularly in Hong, for Hong Kong, Singapore, and many parts of Asia. So I, I think even even if somebody trying to come in and work that compete with us, I think first of all they need to figure out how do we change the technology, fundamental technology. They need to invest lots of R and heavily R and D to do it. And after that, they need to figure out where do they get the data. So it takes it takes actually takes years to build up the knowledge base, the yeah. database of data, capture different scenarios. 
let, so, let, let me um, let me appeal to your inner yeah let me uh, appeal to your inner nerd um, and talk about the technology itself the, the AI and and what is it um, I mean I know there's different types of AI I'm not a an engineer or a computer software programmer or a specialist so you know what's interesting about the way that you're you're using AI and, and how would you describe it. I think the way we do it is actually, um, this can go a little bit technical. So technology changes. So right now, the majority of our tech was built on deep learning, mm -hmm. but that's since seven years ago, we were already doing deep learning. But the technology, even deep learning is evolving in so many different ways. And so how right would you define deep learning? So that's not a definition. It's just about uh, something on neural, deep neural networks. Neural networks, one of the algorithms that we use. It's one of the one of the ways for us to model, you know, uh, a learning process, right? This like right. we build a, we simulate, we simulate human brain neurons, but it's actually a network-based kind of a mapping function that we train the data. It's like, it's like a layering of many AIs. Uh, it's like a layering, like a layer cake of AIs on top of each other to create something that would resemble yeah. synapses in a brain as opposed to a two-dimensional tree of if-thens. Is that right? Yes, and we do lots of convolutions in the process. Okay, so deep learning, the use of neural networks, that's what you began with seven years ago, but now you're saying that that's a bit old hat or you've moved on from that. So where has this gone? It's still fundamentally deep learning. Fundamentally is the same, mm -hmm. but the details have all changed. So remember it's actually the, fun, the framework has been there for a couple of years, but all the, all the details have evolved in so many different ways. Like a couple of things, like how do we model in, in our world, we have to model, we have to build machines to model uh, the signals. How do the way we model signals has changed in so many different ways. In the early days, we think that we use some Markovian models, but now we're doing something completely different. And also, we also developed the language models. In the early days, we use different kind of uh, ways to model languages, like uh, the different ways to, to predict what kind, of, what kind of words should we give you. And that also changed over the years, which it basically says we have, because especially when it comes to multilingual, Grammar doesn't work, syntax doesn't work. The word can come in from different languages. How do we pick piece of memory together? These are all small details have changed over the years, but they are built on the same technology background that we laid about seven years ago, but small details all evolved. Yeah. And what does that mean in terms of the skills that you need in, in your business or working with you know, some of the software people in the banks? Uh, are people up to speed on these models? Do you have to kind of train the, the client to be able to understand them or the client doesn't necessarily need to know this, it's more just how you deliver a final product? Right now, when it comes to us dealing with the banks, it's mostly just banks don't have to, they, they need to understand what's going on mm -hmm. for their internal compliance re, uh, requirements. And also because HKMA's guidance about when banks adopt AI technologies, they need to be able to explain what's going on. You know, that's the regulatory requirements. So we'll give them answers about what's going on behind the scene. But when it comes to actual usage, it, they just use our product. They don't necessarily have to learn about machine learning. They don't have to you know, understand the deep learning and all that. They just look at our product and um, just, just make, use, make use of it and bring business value to the business. Can you talk about any of the banks that are using your services today? Yeah, we have a couple of banks that are actually, that they go on and talk with the best together. So Standard Charter Bank is one of the banks actually they very actively collaborate with us. Mm -hmm. And also JP Morgan is one of our clients as well. They're, we're very close to each other. And Hong Kong Bank also work with us, among many others. So, so I think many of the lot the top the top guys in, in Hong Kong are our clients. Not just Hong Kong, but also yeah. on the world stage as well. 
how um, how scalable is what you do? Not in the sense of doing more and more stuff, you know, putting more interns on this one, you know, this audio case as as we as we refer to it. But are there other things that you could be doing if you're working with one of these large banks? Is there other, you know, other business lines or other use of deep learning AI that you're trying to apply to to new types of business cases? Yeah, sure. We're actually doing lots of those new cases. Typically, when we just we sell when we sell a product. So our product fundamentally is just like we analyze the audios. We analyze audios. We'll give you different kind of in, insights. And once we start work collaborating with the bank, we actually expand the business cases together with the bank. Mm -hmm. For instance, we started out. I mentioned that when we started out, we checked the sales process. Is there any selling misconduct? And I mentioned we have to quality. We've been doing quality management where we manage monitor how your customer service people are serving the customers and whether they're happy or not. And we're also doing cases like uh, we also have them analyze you know, this kind of interactions between customers and our relation managers and try to do a differentiation, like why some, you know, some of our RMs can sell products better more effectively than the other RMs, right? What's the difference? How do they, how, how, how differently are they when, they when they engage customers? What are the common patterns for successful sales, like successful bankers that can close deals? And what are the patterns for not so successful bankers? And so that we can we'll give banks insights about how do we how do they improve the sales training process, their RM training process. So junior people can become more successful inside a bank as well. And we also come right now, we also have cases where we look at we're looking at we look at the, the, the customer service, the inbound customer service calls. We're trying to identify what, what are customers who are about to churn, like they're about to leave, you know, they're not happy with this. I'm just I'm gonna move to another bank. Do, you know, people actually people talk about it, you know, from time to time when, they, when you're when you're very mad or call a bank, you don't get your service out. Right. So you might leave. So, but that's actually that's a leaking bucket. You don't, you don't, you don't get it. Banks don't actually get, don't get to see it because that's stopped at whoever pick up the phone call. Right now, it's like, let's get AI to listen to every one of them. Try to find out what are the customer who might leave, who have high chance of leaving. So you can have someone else contact contact the customer, try to do a retention. And we're also right now we're also starting to uh, kind of um application use cases where we analyze these recordings and we tell them, hey, whether there are sales opportunities. Like one of the, one of the very typical use cases we are doing with one of the note issuing banks right now is we analyze this the inbound calls, the customer call about mortgage, right? They say, I'm gonna buy a house, I'm gonna take a mortgage. Tell me, your, tell me, tell me about your bank, your bank's offering. So call about that. And there are lots of questions they ask about this, uh, this, this mortgage. But most of the time they don't buy, right? Just to talk about it, to ask questions, oh, let me think about it. And they may be asking, what about how do you compare with your competitor bank? Something like that. And that's it. Most of the time, these kind of a conversation do not get follow-ups because they're it's a support agency, they just give you answers. They may drop a note to some sales, but that's the end of it. You may not, you may not really necessarily follow up. But right now, it's basically every time a customer calls, we say, hey, you know what? Let's get machines to dig out for you. So these are the customers who called you about mortgage or some sort of loans or some other kind of credit card, card credit cards and et cetera. And here's what it asked about. We bring this information, not only tell, we don't just tell the salespeople that, hey, this guy called you about this particular product. We also give you a context. Here are the questions that customer asked about yesterday. He was comparing with the, the other, this bank. He was particularly interested on these couple of aspects of the bank. Now call, call the customer back, try to see what else. Don't just tell, I just, do right. a warm call, say yeah. you called me yesterday, uh, here's, you know, here we have more information for you, how can I help you more, so on and so forth. How, how good are banks at, yeah, how, how good are banks at integrating 
AI solutions that fintechs like you guys deliver and achieving these bigger goals the way you describe them. I mean, it sounds sounds awesome, right? I mean, just plug it, plug this in, and then you guys can do some follow-up work and you can make huge difference to your bottom line, but or to your customer satisfaction, whatever is your goal. Um, in reality, does it really work that way? Yeah, actually, we do have a lot of quite a few challenges, especially working with the you know, internet, the big international banks. But it's not about technology itself. It's about the, because banks is actually a very serious business, and typically banks' IT systems, the software system, has the highest standard across the entire industry because that's people's money. That could be people's life savings, right? They're very high at security standard. They have a high, very high internal standard about what they're gonna use. And they're gonna, they need to have lots of measures in place. So for whatever technology banks adopt, they need to have a measure to say, what if it fails, right? They need to have that kind of measures. So when we work with banks, I think right now we're, we're, in very, we're kind of very okay. But in the early days, the first couple of banks we'll work with, it, takes, it, takes, it typically takes about one a year or two before, from when we say, let's start doing this until you know, to the point where we say, oh, we're bringing this, we're seeing the real value out of it. You know, they're using a day-to-day basis. It takes a year or two because we need to roll out the system in, in, in stages. We also need a monitor. You know, once we deploy a system, what are the mistakes our AI will make? And if we make mistakes, how do we spot it? And if is that a serious mistake or is that a, a you know, it's okay mistake, we just ignore it. And how do we, you know, if it's a serious mistake, how do we, you know, get a human in the loop to step in? You know, to correct the mistakes made made by the AI. So we have lots of internal just kind of a pro- exercises when we go through with the bank to make sure that this is actually um we're not only shipping a technology that for for a bank, but also everybody is comfortable. This bank, this technology adopted the bank. It's bringing significant value to the bank itself, but also to the customers. And at the same time, well, with all the benefits are out there, we're not introducing extra risks to the general market. So that's actually something about this. Uh, it's a fine balance when we need to figure out about bringing the business values, bringing the AI in there. At the same time, making sure that the financial system is stable. We're not introducing actual risks and we are responsible for the regulators inquiries as well. What do you think is the next phase that banks are going to need to use AI? I think lots of, you know, as we start working with banks, we do see that lots of, you know, works that the banks are doing right now are quite manual. They're still quite manual and uh, not so efficient. So based on our, so over a couple of, like the next, the next the couple of, the past couple, two to three years, the banks have been very receptive about AI technologies. And of course, at the beginning, it was hard. Now we're, we're you know, having a better time working with all, all the large banks. So right now we're seeing accelerate, accelerated adoption of our technologies and that across the broad general AI technologies. And banks also see the benefits of using AI to automate their work. It, it not only reduce their costs, but also increase the customer experiences as a general in, in general. And as the banks are getting more used to it, and also they know how to manage the risks, you know, the, how to manage the different risks and the different aspects of adopting AI, we're seeing an acceleration and adoption. So lots of the manual work could be done, could be automated by AI technologies. And in the next couple of five years, couple of four to five years, that's something I can see. And we can see that as banks getting more comfortable working with AI technologies, more and more use cases will come out. The use case I talk about, by the way, the use case I just described was not invented by me. It was created, it was invented. It was actually, you know, brought up by our customers, but the bank themselves, yeah. they have this idea. And we say, let's do a trial, let's do a pilot. Let's see whether this thing can actually work or not. So I will work with them for, 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 some, for a couple of months. It worked and it will start rolling it out. So interesting, actually, we, we do see yeah. there are lots of banks, people who are very genius. They have lots of ideas, 
they just didn't have the necessary technologies and didn't have a right partner to work with them to deploy. And right now, with yeah, with a lot of technology like Panel for helping banks going faster in this journey. In both Hong Kong and Singapore, the regulators, the Hong Kong Monetary Authority and MAS, have been very keen on uh, getting banks to adopt RegTech um, or themselves to use uh, SupTech, supervision technology, I guess is another buzzword. Uh, how would you, where are we in that shift of, you know, regulator-driven support for RegTech? Is it, is it having meaningful impact? Um, you know, maybe you could just talk a little bit about what you think will be the next thing that has to happen for, for that program or that, in, that ambition to be realized? Yep. Actually, you know, regulars adopt promoting RegTech and regulars also adopting you know, RegTech, which then what they will call it SupTech, is a big push for the entire industry. So one of the scenarios we, we come across is actually our technology is also being adopt, adopted by two regulars, actually three regulars at the moment. Um, and so when, when they push for, you know, when they, when they use our technology, it basically says, I'm gonna use your AI technologies to conduct surveillance, audit, examinations for, for authorized institutes about those financial institutes about what you're doing. Like I'm gonna use AI to monitor you in a larger scale. That basically said, yeah, this is actually, it actually works. And they give it, they, they actually that gives the banks much more confidence of the adopting technology and also give them a strong pressure. So you have to move because otherwise the regulars are spinning, uh, spinning up, you know, are, are up increasing their capabilities using AI technologies. If you are still doing the manual approach, you're gonna, you might run into trouble because you're now up to speed about what the regulars, what the regulars are doing. So that's actually where I see it. It's a, it's a, it's, a, it's been something very successful. And I will, I will say actually MAS is actually less successful, to be honest, less successful, you know, less aggressive in adopting this approach than the regulars in Hong Kong. Regulars in Hong Kong are much more advanced in, in adopting technology for supervision. And that made brought up a major impact to the, the financial institutes in Hong Kong. Great. Last question. Um, you and I met uh, a year or two ago um, and we were talking about Fano Labs. And I think at that point you were looking at an IPO uh, since then, market conditions have been pretty rocky, but nonetheless, uh, where are you with that exit dream? We're actually, at, interestingly, you know, we're not impacted by the market at the moment. So we're growing extremely fast. So right now, we're basically, we're basically just struggling to work with so many different banks that so many comes, customers knock on the door and say, Miles, here's the money, let's work together. I say, could you please wait a little bit? We're busy. You know, that's something that's, that's happening at the moment. Um, so actually, it's good because the, one of the things about our applications on RegTech, especially regulation, is when the market is actually bad, there are more you know, investors, some investors actually lost money. The regulators that will actually step up their regulation. They say, you lost money. Is that because of real market risk? Or is it because some, somehow the banks or you know, security firms didn't handle your case properly, which led to your loss of, of financial losses? So regulators are step, actually step up on their, regular, their supervision power during the market downtime. And that's where that's actually give us a, a reason why, you know, give, yeah. give us a, a trigger about the banks should be are more aggressively adopting our technologies to make sure they are actually, they can conduct internal monitoring to make sure that at least they're not there, they can eliminate any misconduct risks. They're just looking at a pure market risk. That's gonna be okay for, for it's, it's gonna be okay for regulators. It's because, either, at the same time. Well, with yep. those tailwinds then, do you have a timetable for your own uh, go-to market? 
Yeah, we're still look, we're looking, given our current growth speed, I think we're probably looking at next couple of two to three years for a uh, for potential exit. But we'll see. That's still a long way to go. A couple of years, two to three years, everything can change. We'll see about it. Great. Well, good luck with that. Thank you for joining me today on DigFinVox. Miles Wen, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Pleasure. Thank you so much.